Hello, welcome to our podcast, Carefully Examining the Text. And today's episode examines Psalm 81. In the heading of Psalm 81, the text says, For the choir director on the Geteth, a psalm of Asaph. Let's read the first seven verses. Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout joyfully to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, strike the timbrel, the sweet-sounding lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. He established it for a testimony in Joseph when he went throughout the land of Egypt. I heard a language that I did not know. I relieved the shoulder of the burden. His hands were freed from the basket. You called in trouble, and I rescued you. I answered you in the hiding place of thunder. I proved you at the waters of Meribah. Now, in Psalm 81, the psalm begins with a call to praise God, a call to sing for joy to Him, to sing joyfully to the God of Jacob. God is mentioned in verse 1 and in verse 4 as the God of Jacob. Maybe tying this God with the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Maybe tying God to the mercy that he showed to Jacob in the book of Genesis, in spite of all of Jacob's failures. But God is this great and awesome God who is worthy of our song, who is worthy of us shouting joyfully. Verses 2 and 3 introduce several various instruments of music that were used in praising Him in this Old Testament setting. And the text says to blow the trumpet at new moon. New moon is mentioned in Numbers 28, verses 11 through 15 as a weekly observance. At the new moon, it was, a, it was part of the religious calendar of the people of Israel. The seventh month was a particularly special year for the Jews as the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles occurred then. Is that the time that's being described? It's really impossible to tell. But God is worthy of worship. He is worthy of praise. He is worthy of song. And the text tells us that this is a statute and an ordinance in Israel in verse 4. This statute and ordinance is ordinance is to celebrate this festival, to worship Him, to worship God. In verse 5, He established it for a testimony in Joseph when He went throughout the land of Egypt. In in verse 5, the word Joseph is spelt differently than it is anywhere else in the Hebrew text in the Old Testament. But the text tells us, God said, I heard a language that I did not know. Now, I I say God spoke those words. Is it God speaking, or is it a representative of Israel speaking? One of the things about being in captivity in a place like Egypt or Babylon is that people spoke a language that you did not understand. Deuteronomy 24, Deuteronomy 28, verse 49, spoke of that as a curse 
of the covenant. In Jeremiah 5 verse 15, Israel would later experience that in Babylon. They've already experienced it in Egypt, according to Psalm 114 and verse 1. Is that the reference that verse 5 is making? Or is it a reference to the fact that the people are hearing the voice of God and they have not been used to that? They've not been listening to Him. Or is it true that this is speaking of their crying to Him and God is anxious to answer their cry? Verse 5 is difficult to interpret. But don't let us lose the big point of the psalm. The psalm is stressing the mercy, the grace, the compassion that God showed Israel in delivering them from bondage. In verse 6, I relieved his shoulder of the burden. His hands were freed from the basket. God had lifted the burden, the oppression of Egyptian bondage from the backs of Israelites. As they were afflicted with bitter bondage and hard labor, as they sought to make bricks in Exodus 1 through 5, make bricks even after they weren't given straw. But God ultimately broke that burden. God relieved his shoulder of the burden. His hands were freed from the basket. And it says, You called in trouble and I rescued you. Psalm 50, verse 5, Psalm Psalm 50, verse 15, Psalm 91, verse 15, speaks of crying out to God in days of trouble and God rescuing. And that's exactly what God did to the people who were in Egyptian bondage. God answered in the hiding place of thunder, maybe a reference to Mount Sinai with its thunder and lightning, Exodus 19, verses 16 through 19, and Exodus 20, verses 18 through 21. I proved you at the waters of Meribah in uh, Exodus 17, 1 through 7, and Numbers 20, verses 7 through 13. But God has guided Israel. God has delivered Israel from Egyptian bondage, from Egyptian slavery, from oppression. He has relieved their burden. He has provided for them in the wilderness. And he has proved them and tested them at the waters of Meribah. God's testing is always for constructive purposes in Genesis 22. Maybe that's the reference in verse 7. But the God who delivered his people from Egyptian bondage, the God who heard their cry when they were in slavery, has a right to expect that his people listen to him. In verses 8 through 10, Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you, O Israel, if you would listen to me. Let there be no strange God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. The word hear or listen is used quite frequently in this psalm. It's used twice in verse 8, though the New American Standard translates one word here. And one word, listen, it is the same Hebrew word. Hear, O my people, I will admonish you. 
O Israel, if you would listen to me. God brought Israel out of Egyptian bondage. That's mentioned in verse 10. Verse 10 sounds very similar to Exodus 20 and verse 2. And Deuteronomy 5 verse 6. The preamble to the Ten Commandments says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of bondage, out of the house of slavery. God had delivered the people from bondage, and God wanted a relationship with his people. He says in verse 10, I, the Lord, am your God. The phrase, I am your God, and you shall be my people. I will be to you a God, and you will be my people. That phrase is used in some form or another all the way from Genesis 17 to Revelation 21. God longed to bring a people into fellowship with him. And God longed to do that with Israel. And one of the most fundamental requirements of that covenant with God in verse 9 was that they have no other God. You remember in Exodus 20 verse 3, in Deuteronomy 5 verse 7, you shall have no other gods before me. God says, let there be no strange God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. God calls his people to listen to him, to listen to him. But in verse 11, he says, but my people did not listen to my voice and Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. God calls his people to listen to him, verse 8, verse 11. But in verse 11, they did not listen. A matter of fact, the first thing God said to his people after bringing them out of Egyptian bondage and gathering them at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, verse 5, is obey my voice. The first requirement that he had of them, he tells them what he had done for them and how he had brought them on eagles' wings to himself. But he says, obey my voice. What God wanted first of Israel was a people who would unconditionally surrender to him, who would surrender to his will. Obey my voice. Jeremiah 7, verses 21 through 26, God tells Israel, I didn't speak to you first concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. It's not that what God said about burnt offerings and sacrifices was optional. It wasn't. But he said, that wasn't my first priority. My first priority was to say, obey me, obey my voice. But instead of obeying me, you have walked in the stubbornness of your will. Jeremiah 7, verse 23, that's very similar to what we read here. Israel didn't listen to God's voice, and they walked in the stubbornness of their will. Psalm 81, verses 11 and 12. The text says God gave them over to walk in the stubbornness of their heart. They refused to listen to God, and God let them have their way. They said to God, my will be done, and God said... I surrender you to it, but you will experience the consequences of it. God gave people over to sin and immorality in Acts 7, 
verse 42, in Romans 1, verse 24, in verse 26, and verse 28. And God does that to Israel. He gives them over to walk in the stubbornness of their heart, to walk in their own devices. Notice the contrast between verse 12 and verse 13. In verse 13, Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Now, Israel hadn't listened in verse 11, but the Lord longed for the people to listen in verse 13. The people walked in their own devices in verse 12. God uses the same word in verse 13 to say that Israel, he wanted Israel to walk in his ways. God wants us to listen to him and to walk in his ways, not to refuse to listen and to do what we want, but to listen to him and to walk in his ways. And God longs that. God is longing for a people who want to do what's right. In verse 13, oh, that my people would listen to me. If you look at Deuteronomy 5.29, Deuteronomy 29, in verse, Deuteronomy 32, verse 29, Isaiah 48, verse 18, you'll find in each of these passages that God is longing for a people who do His will. God is wanting us to do right, and He is wanting to bless. In verse 14 and 15, I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. And those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to Him, and their time of punishment would be forever. So there in verses 14 and 15, God would quickly defeat all their foes if they would but walk in his way. And in verse 16, he would pour out to them great blessings. I would feed you with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. This psalm teaches great things about God. It teaches great things about God. God is worthy of praise in verses 1 through 3. And God is the God who rescued his people from Egypt in verses 6 and 7. In verse 10, he rescued us from Egypt for the purpose of entering a relationship with us, for being our God and us to be his people. And God always wants of his people that they listen to him in verse 8, in verse 13. But many times we do not listen. Verse 11. God longs for us to do right so that he might bless us. Verse 8 and verses 13 through 16. I think Psalm 81 also brings balance to the last couple of Psalms. If you haven't got to listen to Psalm 79, Psalm 80, I encourage you to go back and listen to those. But in those psalms, the people pour out their heart to God and pour out their grief to God in the midst of their pain and in the midst of their suffering. But in Psalm 79 and Psalm 80, there's little acknowledgement of the people's sins. They simply decry their dilemma. 
Now, there is the request for forgiveness in Psalm 79, verse 9. I don't want to play that down, but I would say the highlight is calling upon God to return and God to bless us. Psalm 81 shows us that the people haven't fallen into this circumstance because of God's weakness or because of God's inattention, but because of their own sin, because they have sinned and walked in their own stubborn way. And therefore, God has given them over to the disasters of Psalm 79 and Psalm 80. How does Jesus fulfill Psalm 81? First of all, listening to God has always been a fundamental part of being the people of God. The word listener here is used in verse 5, verse 8, twice, verse 11, verse 13. It's a call to the people to hear God and a statement that they haven't heard Him. God always has told His people to hear Him, like, like we stated from Exodus 19, 5 and 6 and Jeremiah 7, 23. God says, obey my voice. That's one of His first priorities for Israel, unconditional surrender to Him. And it's the same today as Jesus told Peter, James, and John, when they wanted to build three tabernacles, one for Moses, one for Elijah, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. We must listen to Jesus as God's people have always been called to listen to Him. God promises in Psalm 81.10, open your mouth and I will fill it. God gave Israel manna in the wilderness in Exodus 16. God filled their mouths with good things. But that manna God gave them in the wilderness was a dim foreshadowing of the greater bread of life that God would give in Jesus in John chapter 6. Jesus is the bread of life which will satisfy our deepest hunger. It will satisfy us as Psalm 81, verse 16, God promised to satisfy his people with honey from the rock. Jesus satisfies our deepest needs. John 8, verse, John 6, verse 35. And just as God longed for his people to be saved in Psalm 81, 13, Jesus longs together his chicks together as a hen gathers her hen, chicks under her wings. Matthew 23, 23 through 30, Matthew 23, 37 through 39. Jesus is indeed ultimately the rock from which we drink. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4. And before him every knee will bow. As verse 15 speaks of, and as Philippians 2 shows us, will be fulfilled in Jesus. What a beautiful psalm. What a powerful psalm. But I want to tell you, my friend, God wants you and me to surrender to His will, to do His will, to listen to Him, and to walk 
in his ways. May the Lord bless you.